Hello and welcome to another episode of Scare Traducing, the horror podcast that is serious about series. I'm Callum McNabb and I am alone this episode. Zella is currently spending the holidays with her family and I hope to be joining her at a later date. So in the meantime, I am in the house by myself with the TV to watch, with the GameCube to play um, and... You know, once you got bored of those things, why not record a podcast episode? So I am doing a little bonus here for you. Uh, it's going to be a, a two-parter. I'm going to be looking back at the some of the best films, some of the worst film experiences, some of the strangest film experiences um, that that I've had, that, that me and Hazel have had, that people have had in this crazy year of 2020, the year in fear. Um, that's what that's what we're going to be calling it. It's going to be two episodes. I'm going to do January to June, so the first half of the year in this episode right now, and then we will do you know the latter half up to present time of recording in the second episode, which will drop maybe a, a week or so after this. So I hope you're ready for that, and I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. So the year began, obviously, as a new decade, following um, what certainly is my opinion. I believe Isella shares this opinion, but I can't get her to confirm because she's not here right now. I believe we both agree on this. I certainly think that the previous decade we just finished was arguably the greatest decade for horror of all time. Certainly a challenger. Um, certainly the, the best decade for horror in my lifetime, which is... To this to, to date, sorry, is only three decades, but still the best of the three. And I, I, I'd say there's a good case for the 2010s to be made as the or one of the strongest. Um, whether it be It or It Follows, Get Out or Hereditary, The Conjuring Universe, or the dawning of someone like Mike Flanagan's entire career, basically, um, I think the 2010s did have something to scare everybody. At the end of last year, I believe we did a Best of the Decade episode, and if you didn't listen to that, um, feel free to go and listen to it now. I'm not going to spoil it all, but I'm going to tell you what we think our bests are, so you know, kind of, if you've never listened to this podcast before, what the kind of horror meanies are like. I mean, we do love all horror, but still, my Best of the Decade was The Babadook, and Hizella's Best of the Decade was The Witch. So we're going into 2020, it's a new decade and we're buzzing to see, you know, where, where things are going to go from such a high point in our opinion. Like what would be the next A24 or the next A Bloomhouse? Uh, I mean, what filmmakers will challenge the likes of Jordan Peele or Jennifer Kent for the chance to be considered a vital voice in the world of horror? Like what is it going to bring and what is 2020 going to, I mean, we could not have foreseen what 2020 was going to bring, but... Our hopes were high at the start. <laughs> Cynics all laughing at me now, I'm sure. So as we entered January, Zella and myself, I remember this so clearly, we were absolutely buzzing with excitement about one film in particular, Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timber man want? With being a wiki. Just looking to earn a living. Just like any man. Starting new. On the run. 
So as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, um, Gisela did absolutely love The Witch. I like The Witch as well. I do really, really like The Witch, but it, that was Gisela's number one horror film of the previous decade. Um, she's watched it several times, and she just absolutely raves about it. So that, plus the fact that we had heard such great things about um, The Lighthouse, because obviously for anyone li- listening in North America, you'll be thinking, 2020 as a The Lighthouse? What? It was released in the USA in October. It was not released in the UK until January 31st of this year. So it is a 2020 release here in the UK. It is part of this decade here in the UK. And at the end of it all, 10 years to come, nine nine and a bit years later, if you hear anyone saying The Lighthouse is one of the best films of the decade or one of their favourite films of the decade, don't be shouting at them just because you live in the States and you got it in 2019. We didn't. I remember going to sit in the theatre to see it and it opening just... I mean, I already knew it was going to be filmed on, like, super fucking boxy. Um, was it 4 by 3 or something? I don't even know what the ratio is, but the... the just the, the way it's framed on a big screen with the sound pumping out, it really, really felt... It's strangely new, despite the fact that it is taking, you know, so much inspiration from old classic... Um, cinema and things like that it did feel like it's just certainly an experience that we don't get anymore and haven't had in my lifetime so that plus the mermaid screams uh, Robert Pattinson's demonic distorted laugh at the end Defoe's uh, hark monologue it just I don't know it just enveloped like it, it into its own world um, I actually think the film should have won or at least be nominated for its cinematography. Uh, it didn't get a nomination. I don't think it would have won, because obviously 1917 with um, Roger Deakins. Um, obviously, you know, you weren't going to beat that. So I think it deserved a nomination. I do. And also as well, I've heard a few people saying that it's not horror, or that they don't consider it horror. Yes, because there's more things going on than just horror, but I think you have to accept that horror is one of those things. If the film doesn't unnerve you, unsettle you, I honestly don't know what's wrong with your your personality. Like, this film is so creepy, and the acting is tremendous. I would just say it's more of... uh, It's kind of what I think about David Lynch films. It's more of an emotional experience than being able to explain it to someone. I remember coming out of the cinema, and me and Izzel went to a restaurant, had dinner, and we both talked about it, and... I remember Hazel saying she would like to see it again, but with subtitles, because the English is kind of hard to understand. Certainly um, for a non-native speaker and someone, you know, who's not ready for it. You're sitting in the cinema and then all of a sudden it just it's just blasted at you. But she still enjoyed it. She still was like, yeah, would give it, a, you know, would want to see it again. It was an experience. And to start the decade off, to start the year off, to start everything off with, such a film, as far as I remember, it's still my favourite horror film of the year. So it's pretty much all downhill from there, but I, I, I cannot recommend this film enough. It is top-tier stuff. You don't need to pick it apart. For example, don't be obsessed with the plot. Do not be... I hate people who, who for film film criticism and film understanding, is only plot. I never understood... I never get that. For example, like, if the only thing that's important to you is plot, like... Uh, I had people 
tell me that they hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because, quote, nothing happened. And I would say things like, well, well, this happened and this happened. I'd describe the plot, essentially. And they'd be like, yeah, but it was kind of boring. It, you expect more. And I was like, well, you were getting this, this, and this. And they were like, yeah, but that's not to do with the story of describing character details or what it's trying to say about the idea of being over the hill and things like that. And I always just started to think, if the only thing that is interesting you is the plot, then why not just get someone to read you the Wikipedia entry? Just tell you this happens, then B happens, then C, D, all the way through, and we get to X, we get to Y, we get to Z. And then that's it. You know what happens. Good. I never understood that criticism. So if you want to know and understand and just be completely on board with the plot that is happening, The Lighthouse is not for you. But if you're willing to let it, I'm going to use the same phrase again, wash over you, please let it do so. It's a massive experience. Um, and what's also funny is that during this time, we were watching the Grudge franchise for our podcast. Um, we did three, four episodes in total, but three at this point um, covering the US films. We didn't do the Japanese ones. So if you want to go back and listen to those, please feel free to do so. Because the Grudge 2020 was coming out. Spencer. I'm here about selling the house. Is anyone home? Hello? So, I think it was only a day later, or maybe even the same night we ended up going to see The Grudge 2020 and that is a completely different experience. You're going from a film which I can I can remember how it made me feel. I can remember how unnerved and unsettled I was. I can remember how joyous I felt just at the entire experience, how much beauty I thought it, it, it was on screen versus a film I have no recollection of at all, which is The Grudge 2020. Given that... It's produced by Sam Raimi, and people like Angela Riseborough, John Chu, and Lynn Shea are all starring in it. I think you'd be forgiven for going in with certain expectations. But if you've listened to any of our Grudge episodes, you'll know that Mizella and I kind of both struggled to really love those films. Um, and I think the 2020 version, whether it's uh, uh, an adaptation, a reboot, a sequel, whatever it is, it's, it's really no different. I struggle to love it, I struggle to enjoy it, I struggle to get engaged with it. I don't find it scary, I don't find it entertaining, I don't find it enjoyable. I, I don't know what it is about this franchise, but it, it's never clicked with us. So that was, you know, within a couple of days, right at the start of the year, January time, beginning of February time, going from what is still my favourite horror film of the year to... A film I have largely forgotten. In fact, do you know what do you know what I remember about The Grudge? The thing I still remember about The Grudge 2020 is the end. The credits, which come silently over the front of the house with the car parked in the driveway and the, the sprinklers on. That is what I remember most about that film. That's crazy. Now, on the 20th of February, I had the opportunity to go and see uh, another horror film which was getting kind of okay reviews, but but good 
word of mouth, good press uh, on Twitter and uh, online from people who really do like horror films, and that film is Underwater. Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land, and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month. Here we go. We're going to do this. Let's do this. Now, the reason I say I had the opportunity to go and see it is because I had tickets to go. Or sorry, I had a ticket to go. Cizella didn't want to go and see it. So I was going to go myself. And I decided against it. I didn't go in the end. Instead, I watched uh, my beloved Rangers play in the Europa League against Braga. And what a decision that was, by the way, folks. For anyone who knows about football, Scottish football, European football and sports, or who remembers that game, at halftime, 2-0 down, I generally thought I'd made the wrong wrong choice. And then full-time, 3-2 winners. Magnificent. Well, he scored already. Is he going to try again? The younger Romanian, Haji. It's Haji, it's deflected! And it's a This is incredible! It's the most amazing European comeback. Rangers looked down and out. And from two goals behind, they lead by 3-2. Eyebrows, baby, it's strong, man. It's just different. It's just different. It's just different. For a horror podcast, for a film podcast even, I'd say myself and Hizella probably agree on this. Again, I'm going to get her to confirm all this in person when I speak to her, but I'd say we're in the unusual position that we don't think film and horror film is like the best emotional experience you can have watching something. I'd say we both agree that sports are when, and only when, sports are perfect. When that perfect goal happens, when that perfect touchdown, that Hail Mary, last minute, buzzer beater, whatever it is, when that happens and it's something you couldn't expect, something you didn't see coming, when Leicester win the Premier League, whatever it is, nothing can touch that. I, I don't think anything can touch that. The reason I think we like films and horror films the way we do is their consistency. You know what you're getting in for with this 90 minutes, with this two hours. You kind of know maybe an actor's in it that you like, or a director's made it who you like, or the genre you love, or you've heard you know the synopsis and you're interested. You're ready to buy into it. But with a football game or with a sports game, most of the time, you pick a side. And so you're already 50% happy, sorry, so you're already only happy if 50% of the things happen are good, if, if that makes sense. Like you want one team to win and one team to lose. And if you're a neutral, you want it to be a good game. You don't really, you don't really want it to be scrappy and close and tense. You just want, you want, you want to see it like high scoring, free flowing, perfect football or whatever. And so sports have like way more, caveats on them to be good but when they are as good as they can be i do think that they are better than movies and so unfortunately 
I made the right choice for anyone who's a horror fan. I think I made the right choice by not going to see Underwater in the cinema and instead watching uh, a football game. I should note that I have seen Underwater since then. I've seen it on TV um, since it's been released at home. I've watched it. I've loved it. I've enjoyed it. I would watch it again. So then moving on from the 20th of February to the very, very end of February and beginning of March, we get the Glasgow Film Festival. So this is an event that for many years, myself and Hizela have absolutely loved, especially me growing up here. But since Hizela's moved here to live with me, like she's joined right in. Uh, I remember seeing Rec 4 Apocalypse at this event, uh, this festival, sorry, one year. And at the time of the festival this year, we were actually covering the Rec films in the, and we did the Quarantine uh, American remakes and whatever as well. So if you want to go back and listen to those episodes, feel free to do so. Uh, but this year, however, was the first year that we had ever applied for press accreditation. And given that the podcast was barely, I don't even th- no, it wasn't even a year old at the time. There was like no way we were going to get it. And yet we did. We got our badges. We wore them proudly, fucking like idiots with our photos on them. Um, I, I honestly can't believe we got accepted. So that is like the first time. That, like this little podcast we started just as a hobby, just as something to pass the time, just as something to do, then it actually had a, 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 a tangible benefit. You know, we could get into screenings for free so long as we spoke about them on the podcast, so long as we put in the time to talk about these films and review these films, we'd get to see them for free. And that that was just unbelievable to know that somebody had thought we were qualified enough or big enough to be able to do so. So, Massive thank you to the Glasgow Film Festival for giving us um, that accreditation. I don't even care if people criticise us and say, like, oh, that's nothing, that's really easy to get. I don't give a shit. We didn't think we were going to get it, and we did. So in the end, we saw four films. We saw Vivarium, which is good. Lose the Flower of Evil, which is shite, and I would say misogynistic. We saw Our Ladies, which is fine. It's not a horror film, but it is Scottish, so that's why we chose it. And the next film that I'm going to discuss, Saint Maud. Dear God, your presence graces the air, and soon everyone will see. Hi, you Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. So St. Maud was part of the festival under the Fright Fest banner. Um, so, so that meant, unfortunately, we weren't un- entitled to see it with free entry and we had to buy the tickets for it. Um, but that obviously wasn't an issue because, you know, we'd seen the trailer. We were very excited for it. And, you know, some of the press around it, like like someone like Danny Boyle, you know, director of Train Spotting, 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire. He's quoted as saying that the film, quote, evokes the ecstasy of films like Carrie, The Exorcist, and Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. I mean, that's as ringing an endorsement as you could hope to, to get for your debut film. And following that film, Rose Glass was on site to do a little Q&A and give us more insight into the film, what it all means. But I just say, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't need this sort of backup stuff. That should always just be extra. Like, if you haven't seen the film, if you haven't heard what it's about, if you haven't read anything that Rose Glass has said, or, you know... 
you think everything I've just said about Danny Boyle or whatever, and that's just, you know, that's just fluff background stuff. What you need to go in and, and let happen is just let the film envelop you. It's a film that deals in loneliness, our search for meaning in like even the smallest things that we do versus our ability to just break down and falter like immediately when we encounter some sort of struggle that, that's trying to figure things out and we just can't handle it anymore. It's emotions that, that all of us should be able to tap into on some level and appreciate. I, I honestly can't praise it enough. It's also the only film on this list that we have seen twice at the cinema. We saw it once at the, um, the Glasgow Film Festival, as I said, and then later on in the year when cinemas reopened, you know, after everything that happens that we know is coming, it's in the background, we can all hear it, COVID, 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 COVID. Um, when the cinemas reopened again, St Maud got a small release and Isela and I decided we were going to go back and see it again. So we've seen it twice at the cinema. It's... It's my number three horror... Yes, it's my number three horror film of the year so far. And as I say, the only one I've seen twice. Well deserved. Get it on your list if you've not seen it. Saint Maud. So as I say, Saint Maud is my number three horror film of the year so far. And the next film I'm going to talk about is actually just one place below. It's my number four. And that is The Invisible Man. Adrian? He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then it was controlling when I left the house and eventually what I thought. So this was released at the end of February, but Hazel and I, due to the Glasgow Film Festival and things like that, we didn't actually catch it until March 8th. Uh, now, if you know anything, as I say, about 2020, and I'm sure you all do, having lived through it and experienced it and hated it like the rest of us, You'll know, you know, there's that little old disease out there called coronavirus, COVID-19, just in the background. And at this time, obviously in early March, in the UK, we're all aware of its impending nature. And we, we did know that life was about to change. But I don't think we could have predicted that between was it March 23rd, I think, when the lockdown started here in the UK. Between then and now, I'm recording this in November the 30th that we'd still be working from home, we'd still be unable to go to pubs and restaurants in the same way that we used to, we'd still be unable to see friends and family in the same way that we were able to before, cinemas would be closed indefinitely. I don't think any, nobody could have predicted it would have gone on this long. For 2020 to begin a new decade of horror, everything just came to a standstill right at the first hurdle. But luckily, before we reached that hurdle, one last film came out. And as I've mentioned, it was The Invisible Man. Now, if you've ever listened to our podcast before, you'll know that James Wan has, has always been a big favourite of this podcast. We haven't covered many of his films, but we do sometimes you know, bring him up, talk about him, chat about him, what's he up to next, what should he get back to, do more horror, James, blah, 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 blah. But we've, we've rarely given any time to discuss uh, Lee Wanell. So for anyone who doesn't know out there, James Wan and Lee Wanell, they began as partners. Lee was the writer. James was the director. So yes, you know, Winnell had always been along and involved in the majority of James Wan's projects, but our favourite project that James Wan has been involved in is The Conjuring Universe. Although The Curse of La, La Llorona is, you know, hokey shit and can go fuck itself, the fact that we've got a horror universe, a fun, jumpy, ever-expanding horror franchise universe, that's something that, that we'll happily support in this podcast. So James Wan creating that without Lee Winnell had kind of led us to consider the possibility 
that maybe Lee Wanell was like not rubbish. That's that's harsh. But like maybe he was, you know, because the minute Wan gets rid of him or doesn't get rid of, him, but like goes steps away from him, he ends up creating something that we think is better than anything he's ever done before. So we kind of thought maybe maybe Wanell was holding him back somewhat. Now obviously that in hindsight is ridiculous. You know, when it came to watching The Invisible Man, we didn't really know what to expect. Since going back and watching Upgrade, which we hadn't seen at the time, that is also a film directed by Lee Wanell, for anyone who doesn't know, um, we didn't have any concern. In fact, um, we covered the Insidious franchise on this podcast. That's, I think, the only James Wan sort of stuff we've done for real. Oh no, we've done The Conjuring spin-offs. I know he hasn't directed any of them, but he's been involved. But the only directed films that we've done of his are The Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2. And then you get to Insidious Chapter 3, debut film directed by Lee Wanell. And that ends up being our favourite of that franchise. In fact, it's baffling to me that people still think it's not that good. And that Insidious and Insidious Chapter 2 are better than it. And, and, and me and Isella both watched you know, the four of them to cover in this podcast. So if you want to listen to them... Free to do so. They are there. Those episodes are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, on whatever. We both watched all those films, and you know, we're going to watch Insidious 5 when it comes out. And we were kind of like, they're fine, they're good, they're decent. But Insidious Chapter 3, both of us were like, that really, really got under our skin in a way that most popcorn horror doesn't, and it really entertained us. Insidious Chapter 3 is the best of that franchise. Upgrade is a great movie. And then The Invisible Man. Lee Wanell, great, great, great. To the point where we debated, maybe Lee Wanell's the genius of that pairing. Maybe James Wan is the one that just kind of got lucky. But I'm going to say it now on this podcast. I think both those discussions are bullshit. Both of them are geniuses. Both of them are great. They should stay in horror. Keep doing what you're doing, lads. So the Invisible Man, I mean, what is there to say about this that hasn't already been said? It was kind of like, it's kind of like the big popcorn horror film of the year because of the year we've had. Um, Nothing's really challenged it. You know, we were supposed to get The Conjuring 3. We were supposed to get Halloween Kills. We were supposed to get Spiral, The Book of Saw. We were supposed to get Candyman. We were supposed to get all these challengers to what is going to be the popcorn event. And they've all been pushed back, so... The Invisible Man, I think, kind of takes that title um, by default. But it would be a worthy challenger, if not the outright winner, even at the end, because it's such a high bar. It's a magnificent film. It's a wonderful example of restraint. It's a marvellous cinematic tension. Anything you want to say about it. The effects are unbelievable. The act, Elizabeth Moss, you know, people said over the last few years that, oh, Lupita Nyong'o should have got a nomination for uh, Us. Or Tony Collette should have got a nomination for Hereditary. Or um, Florence Pugh should have got a nomination for Midsummer. These are all the Oscars, obviously. I think you could throw Elizabeth Moss in there quite easily for her performance in The Invisible Man. Tremendous, top-notch stuff. And in fact, it leads me to a, 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 a story I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before, but if you haven't listened to some of our episodes, I'll bring it up again because it leads me down a thing I would like to discuss, which is um, I was in work. This is obviously before lockdown. I remember we'd just seen The Invisible Man, and a friend 
in the office, who I won't name, came up to me and said, I heard you were at the cinema last night, what did you go and see? The Invisible Man, was it good? Yes, blah, 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 talking about it. And then the last question he asked, he just said, can I just ask, like, was he invisible? I said, what? He said, the guy, the guy in The Invisible Man, the guy that you just told me about, because he doesn't like horror films, so I kind of just spoiled it for him anyway, basically, the, 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 the plot. Um, was he invisible? He said, yeah, he was invisible. He said, what? And he, was, and he looked at me and he just went, oof, you've got a bigger imagination than me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. And I just was like, I didn't say anything. I was just like, all oh, right, and walked away. But like my my brain was just going in fire. Like I was ready to like debate him in the middle of the office. <laughs> if you are going to see a film called The Invisible Man and a man being invisible is a step too far for your suspension of disbelief, the problem is on you, not the not the not the film. I, I don't get why people are so. And this is this is a common thing I think with horror films. General audiences are so antagonistic to horror and to anything that is unnatural and unnerving, and especially things that are sincere about their their weirdness. You know, not things like Scream. You know, people can get on board with Scream because it pokes fun at itself. People get can get on board with. Uh, get out because there's a metaphor underneath it and they understand what it's saying but something like hereditary where it is it's just a family drama but with wild shit going on people seem to struggle with it like because the film has her fly at the end headless and they're like well that's ridiculous but you've got to acknowledge that there are demons in this story so do you not think the demons have that power or do you shut your brain off and say, well, there can't be demons on... Like, where do you draw the line at what is real and what is not real? And what is able to be existing in this story? Did, am I rambling? Do you, does that make sense? I feel like horror, in general, audiences seem to position themselves against the film, not with it. Which is a strange thing to think. I'm going to sit here in this crowded cinema, and instead of wanting a communal experience where we're all jumping and screaming and laughing at the same things and enjoying the same bits and biting our nails at the same bits. I'm going to sit here and and judge all of you for getting scared, for doing what the film wants you to do. I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to judge you for doing it. And I'm going to come out of the cinema, and I'm going to say, that wasn't scary, that didn't get me, that didn't beat me. I, it's, a, it's not a fight. It's an experience. You know, you don't get it at comedies, you don't get it at plays. It doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, the first thing that happens if you mention a horror film is somebody in the group will say, that wasn't scary. That didn't scare me. And that doesn't invalidate the film entirely just because it didn't scare you. What was the film trying to say? What was it about? It, it, It baffles me that people put it on such black and white terms. And if it doesn't hit this mark, it's therefore not worth discussion. That baffles me. And it happened with The Invisible Man. And then a few weeks later, that um, I watched the original with Isella, And that was so I could guest star on my first podcast episodes, which was for ContraZoom. So that's actually one of my favourite film podcasts around us now. Um, it's a Canadian podcast. And fucking hell, I was nervous to do it. It, uh, it was an episode where we compared The Invisible Man 1933 with The Invisible Man 2020 and what the differences were. And I think, honestly... 
I hold my hands up. I think you can hear that I'm a bit nervous and intimidated on that episode because Dakota, eh, who hosts that show, is lovely, great guy. I speak to him on social media all the time. Excellent podcasts, like, but he fucking knows so much more about movies than me, and he knows so much about being able to read things a certain way. Whereas this podcast, I think me and he's like kind of just bounce off the idea that we're kind of ignorant for most stuff. We're just like, oh, it made me jump. And therefore, five stars. You know, just shit like that. <laughs> so I'll put a link to the, 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 I'll put a link to that, that episode in the description. So it's not on this podcast. It's on ContraZoom. But if you want to listen to it, I am on it. And then that was it. A few weeks later, Scotland and the rest of the UK came to a standstill. And here we are, still to this date. You know, the next releases after this that I could talk about are all just sort of, you know, they're just streaming releases, really. Netflix is the platform. Did everybody see that? I feel like a lot of people did, but then it's in Spanish, so people seem to hate subtitles. So do people put it on the English dubbed version? Like, fuck that. (laughs) It's alright. And then uh, The Vast of Night comes out on Amazon Prime, which is a great movie. And I really, really wish I had got released in cinemas. I don't think it was ever intended to, but it's the kind of film where you're watching it and you're like, holy shit, the vision, the fucking idea, the craft behind it, the balls of it, and and just the class behind all of it. Like, it just deserved the biggest screen possible. The Vast of Night, Amazon Prime. I know it's not strictly a horror. It's more of a mystery thriller, sci-fi throwback thing. There's still kind of creepy bits in it, especially one sequence where they talk to an old lady, I think it is. It's kind of creepy. But I'd say if you want a 2020 release that you've not heard of, not heard much about, didn't get a big, like, fancy ooh-ha, I don't think it really went viral in the way that the platform did because everybody fucking, like, got the metaphor of the platform because it's so in your face. I'd say if you're looking for something that's a bit more under the radar, go to Amazon Prime and watch The Vast of Night. And that's us. That's part one. We're done. We've covered some great films. We've covered one really shit film. We've covered reasons why I missed a film. <laughs> We've covered briefly the um, the streaming releases that, that we sort of had to deal with while cinemas were closed and we were locked inside. What a weird start to the year. So why not join me in the next episode? When I'll cover from July to present, end of year sort of time. And we'll look at how COVID has affected, you know, what's come out since then. (laughs) What have we seen since then? What have we talked about since then? What have we wanted to see? Etc, etc, etc. Please stay safe, obviously. Christmas is coming up. You don't want to ruin that for your friends, your family, and anyone you might have the chance to see. Gracias por escucharnos. Y hasta la próxima.